0: One of the things that I love about being in a liturgical church is that at least once a year, we are reminded of of our mortality. Ash Wednesday, when COVID's not going on, you get ashes smeared on your forehead and you're reminded that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And this whole idea that we don't like that, we don't like thinking about our mortality or that we're going to die someday, but we're reminded of it. And I think it's important in how everything plays out. It's a hard thing for us to accept at times, right? I read uh, recently a article that was talking about um, two guys who started a virtual game of sorts that dealt with this issue. This is in Shanghai. And um, they talked about this game that it's called the uh, Samadhi Forty Experience of Death. And it's a game that is, meant to be an experience of death. And the whole, the people who are competing with it in the game are doing all these different things to try to avoid death, but inevitably death catches up with them. And it the, the game includes their cremation, but it also includes the possibility that they can come into this womb like thing and be reborn, but all of this. But one of the founders, um, Mr. Ding talks about it. And he says this, "'We lack understanding of death "'and the fear can become so overwhelming he goes on, This he, he hopes that death, the death simulator experience will provide a life education and help people to confront their mortality. I want to invite you over the coming weeks to something that's difficult. I want to invite you to be able to engage in thoughts about your own death and also about the end of the world. That's what we're going to be talking about in the sermon series that we're starting today. It's a four-week Sermon series that we're starting. And what we're going to do today, I'm going to give you sort of the 30,000 feet overview of the whole thing, kind of looking at introducing you to it and getting an overview. And then next week, we're going to talk about the whole sermon just about hell. The week after that, we're going to talk about heaven. And then the final week, we're going to talk about kind of who goes, how does it work, what are some of the thoughts around those ideas. And um, I want to encourage you to don't run from it, but to stay with it and to join us for the whole thing. And if you miss something, join us online for it. And as we start looking at this topic, um, I wanna start by getting you to have a bit of perspective on it. Everything I'm gonna say today is gonna be based on scripture with some other voices that have come in. There are lots of voices in this area, but what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to step back and look at what has been the traditional view held by the most Christians through the ages. That's what I'm trying to get at. But there are other voices, strong voices, that are in this area, some of which are new. In the last couple hundred years, we can think about the liberalists and their views, or we, or since we're in Dallas, where a DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary is, we might think about dispensationalism, only 200-something years old. So the next time one of your friends talks about the rapture, and all the stuff related to dispensationalism, you can just say, oh, that's an interesting new development within Christianity, part of Christianity, because it's, it's, only, it's less than 200 years old, but people, people think often that it's been here forever, but it's not. So that, a little bit of perspective. And then along with that, we start thinking about perspective. We start looking at other religions or other cultures in the world. There are many religions and cultures that believe that time and the patterns we engage in are circular. So one can think about, for example, the Chinese calendar, how it just, it repeats. It's got a cycle and it repeats, but that's not Christianity. Christianity believes that time is linear and has a destination. And there have been philosophers along the way, of course, who've said this progression through time is inevitable. And it's ultimately about human effort but that's not what we believe as Christians. We believe that it is linear, but we believe it's God's um, planning. It's God's direction. It's God's guidance as people submit that lead us down this path of wherever this is going. So we, we think about those two parts about perspective before we start. But maybe the third thing we, we need to mention is how the New Testament just oozes with this idea that we get in Easter season particularly that, with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that everything has changed. Like something new has started. There's like a whole new world order taking place that's growing, that's being built around this thing with Jesus entering into time and with his life, death, and resurrection. And it's his um, kingdom. It's his kingdom rule that we think about. But part of it is there's this weird tension in scripture and in our lives that some people will call the now and not yet about God's kingdom. Because, and I'll say more about this in a minute, but there's this now part of it where we have already experienced God's breaking into this time and the, and the ushering in of his new kingdom has already started. And we experience that. But there's also this not yet part of it where we haven't experienced the fullness of it, where we don't see things in God's the fullness of his glory. And even the prayer that Jesus um, taught us to pray, where we, we pray, thy kingdom come, because it hasn't come in its fullness yet. And you can again and again throughout scripture, see places where that tension between the now parts that have already happened and the not yet exist. We can think about some of St. Paul's writings where he he talks about this. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give like one example. St. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 10 says, now these things that have happened, happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. So he's talking about how it's already, it, the end of the ages has already come. But then elsewhere, he will talk about like in First Thessalonians 4, where he'll talk about the fullness of God's glory coming later. And those who have died in the meantime are going to be called up and all these kinds of things that are going to take place. So so there's this dimension of that. And Paul will tell us that the Holy Spirit is given really as a pledge of our salvation as we, as we continue on this journey, waiting on the fullness of God's kingdom. So we get this, right? We get that there's all these aspects of this perspective. There's the now and the not yet. And it's not only when we think about it, it doesn't only just apply to us as individuals, but it applies to the, to the whole sweep of time. And we start to think about this with respect to us and our, at the individual level, we hear in scripture that when you come to Christ, when you experience his grace and become a disciple and follow him, Right then, scripture talks about how you're a new creature. You're a new creation in Christ. It's happening right then. Boom. But then we'll hear in other places in scripture about how we are citizens of above. And we've got this tension with the world the way that it exists today. And we get that we're sort of aliens here, as people have talked about. And so we get that, we're, so it's already started, we're new creatures, things are happening, but we're not living in that place fully. And so we're in this strange world, we're citizens of above, but we're not, this, it, it all isn't happening here. And this sweep of history, as we walk through history, we get that God has entered into history in a profound way. As Jesus enters into our world incarnate and through his life, death and resurrection, we have all these things begin. And everything we want to say about how things are going to go for, the, for a Christian and the way we view is all based on this and that everything changes because of that. And that we're on a journey and a mission that's already started, but it's not yet seen its fullness. So then, so that's all of the things I've said so far are just a bit of perspective as we begin to talk about these issues. And what I'm talking about today is, is really what systematic theologians Call eschatology or last things, which is the title of my sermon. It's like, how's this all going to play out? And when we start to think about our lives as individuals in this context, what's next for us? Well, outside of the second coming, the next thing that's for us is going to be death. I mean, like, I mean, there are lots of stuff that's going to happen between here and there, but I'm just saying, in this context, The next thing for us is going to be death. And we we think about, okay, what does that mean? And the Christian view of that is it's this moment where our souls and our bodies part and separate. And what we believe in this is that that's going to happen to everyone. And we also believe that all of us have a destiny beyond the grave. These are just fundamental, straight up, long time, majority views Of what happens. We believe we have something that goes on beyond the grave. Many years ago, I had a friend of mine who um, had a terrible accident. They were driving back to Austin in a a, a suburban that rolled, didn't have her seatbelt on, flew out the window, had all these things happen to her. And she did like three surgeries, but she had a near-death experience right after it happened. And um, it was It's the only person that I've had that was a friend that I could speak to person to person about it. And she described how she floated out, could see herself, how she went to the bright light, all this stuff, which I I don't know what to make of all that. But the one thing that has always impressed me about talking to her about this event is she said, I will never fear death. And I mean, and to be for sure, she's a Christian and she's lived her life this way. But she said, like, other people may fear death and need their death simulator to begin to think about this stuff, but she's like, I will never fear it because of what I've experienced. We all have a destiny beyond it. And this is the kind of stuff we're probing and exploring in this sermon series. The Christian views go on beyond that. We believe that we only die once. I feel like I shouldn't have to say that, but there, of course, there are lots of religions that believe otherwise, that you'll come back, that there is some kind of reincarnation or what have you. And we think about, um, for example, how Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, and just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment, That there's only one time we go through this and then there's judgment that takes place. And so we believe someday we die, our soul and our body separate. You die once, unless you're James Bond and, um, and then, and then what happens? How many of us think about or have thought through what's going to happen next, or at least what is the Christian teaching about what's going to happen next? And again, there are lots of voices out there. I'm going to try to present the majority voice. The next thing that happens is said is we come to a thing called the particular judgment. And scripture talks about the general judgment that's going to come at the end of the age. But there's also this concept that's that's based on scripture that is the particular judgment. And the idea here is that after you die, based on how you lived, your faith, your life with God, your response to all these things that happen, that you're going to go someplace immediately after this. And we start to think about how you respond to all that. And and there are this idea that you're going to go to heaven initially, or you're going to go to hell, or there is this weird possibility of a third place, which I know will freak some people out to even mention, but in fairness, I've got to mention it, lots of footnotes, and I'll say more about it in a minute, but this idea that there are these different places, right? And I want to read for you what is probably the central passage of scripture that this whole notion is based on, right? And it comes from the the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the 16th chapter, This will be familiar to many of you, Um, but Jesus says there once was a rich man expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. This is the message translation, by the way, a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. And then he died. This poor man was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in hell and torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. And he called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony. I'm in this fire. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, You got the good things and Lazarus, the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us that no one can go from us to you, even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. They're in very different places immediately. That's what we're talking about in this particular judgment. Or one can think about Jesus on the cross and the account we get in the gospels of the thieves next to him and how Jesus tells the thief who comes around to Jesus that you will be with me in paradise today. Not the final judgment, today. That's the kind of notion that we're talking about. So after you die, this kind of particular judgment before the general judgment that goes on. And part of the question we would ask, I think there are a number of really easy scenarios that we can raise in this situation, right? We have the scenario of the person who found God's grace, took it on board, and lived their whole life in dedication to that. It's easy. They're in paradise. And the person, it's also easy if we go the other way. And we think about the person who, who knew who God was experienced a call of his love and his grace and said don't want it don't want to have anything to do with it and constantly consistently rejected it clear path is there a possibility of a third ground well maybe certainly a lot of christians think maybe and i want to amplify that a little bit it's it's way more controversial way more difficult but let me just give you uh the passages of scripture on which this kind of view is, is held first Corinthians 13. I'm uh, sorry. Verse three, chapter three, verses 11, 15 says this, no other foundation can anyone lay than that, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest for the day. will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What does that mean? He's going to be saved, but only as through fire? This idea that whatever happens is on the foundation of Jesus. There's one more passage I want to read on this. Matthew 12, verse 31. It says, And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the world to come. Pausing on that last part of that phrase, in the or in this age or in the world to come, the age to come. And the significance of that is to maybe imply that there is the ability to be forgiven later. And what is that? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock all my, my former Catholic friends for a second because what we're talking about here, and I just want to be honest about it, is it's purgatory. And so let me just say something about that for two seconds before lightning strikes me. Um, the, um, the idea here is that maybe maybe possibly there is this other thing when we get to the Reformation, the reformers rejected this because they did not think there was enough scriptural basis for it. That's Anglicans came around and we, we also said, we reject the um, popish doctrine of purgatory. That's if you read the articles of religion, that's what we say. But I can also quote to you, Episcopal bishops who say, well, we reject the popish doctrine of purgatory, but not the Anglican doctrine of purgatory. I'm not trying to go there. I'm not trying to do any of that. I will tell you, the previous pope Benedict, and before he was pope, wrote about this, and he said, "Oh, I believe in it, but I think it takes place in an instant." So he barely believed in it, but he said it in an instant. I don't know. We don't have to solve that today, but in fairness, because so many so many Christians in the world do believe in that concept, I want to put it out there and just say, "Okay, maybe I don't know." But what I want to say so far, we have this particular judgment. People are waiting. They're either in heaven or hell possibly this third place. That's where they are. What happens next? That leads us to the final, to talk about what the final thing is, right? And it reminds me of a, a, a story. I'm, some of y'all have heard me say this before, but there were these two uh, folk, there were these two pastors out. There was a priest and a pastor. They were out on a morning walk on a Saturday. They were friends. They'd get together on Saturday and walk, and they're walking along, and and they observe this problem, and Um, They grabbed this cardboard, you know, like the beggars have a piece of cardboard and they got a marker and they wrote one of the the pastor wrote something on it. And they they're walking along and a car comes behind them. and The pastor turns around and he holds up this sign. It's this great Porsche 911 with the top down. And the guy comes zooming by and says, you religious freaks, because the sign said turn because the end is near. And then after that, they heard a bunch of screeching and they heard this big explosion. And the priest turns to the pastor and says, do you think the sign just ought to say bridge out? (laughs) The end is near. The idea that we have, um, what do we think about how the end of time is gonna take place? Now we're not talking about our own death. We're talking about the end of everything. What's that gonna look like? St. Paul writes uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4 about how there's gonna be this moment where the trumpet's gonna blow and the bodies are going to come out, and the souls are going to, are going to be united together. And that's a moment that's going, to, that's going to go forward. And there's this whole, again, notion about the rapture and millennialism that's in the last 200 years. I'm walking by that. Forget that. But it brings us to the judgment, this final judgment. And we talk about this in, in our creed, right? We have this uh, moment where we, we say, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We're going to say that in a few minutes. We, have, we believe there's this moment where that's going to take place. And scripture says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. There's this moment we're going to be reunited. And we don't know what our scripture talks about, how we're going to be re- reunited with our bodies. They're going to be spiritual bodies. We don't know exactly what that is. And St. Paul talks about this great victory That that where's the sting of death? Because we're going to be lifted up. All this stuff is going to go on. It's going to take place. And it's more than just about our bodies being resurrected and reunited with our souls and coming for judgment. It's this moment where everything is made right. Where God's justice is known everywhere. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a time and place where love is going to win on everything. And it's going to change everything. It's like this huge moment that takes place. And it's not just with humans. It's we're reminded that all of scripture cries out for redemption. In these coming weeks, we're going to unpack all this more. We're going to talk about what heaven is, what hell is, and kind of how it goes with who goes where and all those kinds of things. And we want to invite you to join us for all of it. And if you're traveling or something happens and you can't make it, join us online. And get it from our media center um, through our website. But I want to leave you with just a couple thoughts. Some of you may say that is this is all like, no, I haven't thought about this. But, but maybe for a reason because it's way out there. I want to suggest that this matters to us how we live our faith out tomorrow. That there is a practical dimension to this. One is, is that it, it includes in, a, in it a call for us. To take our faith seriously and to think about, to live our lives, not just thinking about what's in front of the windshield, but the huge view of eternity and life and where things are going and what the big perspective is and to be able to ask the profound, deep questions that if we live life in the short term, right in front of us, we don't see, we don't think about. There's this bigger picture of what's going on and what we're going to do forever kind of stuff that affects how we live And maybe it affects how we share God's hope, God's call to kingdom, all these kinds of things, all of that. I think it also matters for us, for those of us who suffer profoundly in this life. It's also a reminder to us of a bigger picture where things are going to be made right. And it has this apocalyptic piece of it that gives us hope in our deepest sufferings of knowing that whatever the worst thing we experience is, is not the last word. Whatever heartache we get in relationships and brokenness and whatever happens in life, it's not the last word. And there, there's, there's this bigger def, this bigger destination that, that we're called into. Whole lot to think about in all of this. Join us on this journey. It's going to be good. and I think we're going to learn um, quite a bit. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you create us in love, you call us in love to a deeper place, not just in this life, but in the age to come. Lord, help us to connect with you here and help us live with a purpose and a perspective that's beyond here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.